Welcome to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander, the crossroads where culture, lifestyle, and community meet, all hosted by the legendary New York radio TV personality and proud Harlem American, G. Keith Alexander. Hey, <laughs> how you doing today? Welcome to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. And wherever you are, I appreciate you for joining our neighborhood as we hang out together in Harlem, America. Today in the What's Hot Spotlight is Dr. Richard Hartley. Richard Hartley is a New York-based pastor, singer, arranger, songwriter, actor, and musical director who has spent much of his career helping other major artists sound their best. He's recorded and or performed with Michael Jackson, Mariah Carey, uh, Kelly Price, Candy Staten, uh, Tricky, a TV appearance with Aretha Franklin, and a movie appearance with the legendary Diana Ross. And he's currently starring in Vi Higginson's Mama, I Want to Sing. So it is my distinct honor and pleasure to say Dr. Richard Hartley is what's hot. <laughs> Thank you, G. Keith. Thank you so much. My pleasure. How are you today? Thank you for uh, joining us this afternoon. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's an honor. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, so... Richard. Yes, sir. Uh, wow, that was quite a uh, litany of people you've performed with. But before we get into to uh, your career uh, at, at that juncture, why don't we take the Wayback Machine and mm -hmm. tell us what it was like growing up as little Richard Hartley? <laughs> well, unlike, you know, not unlike many other people in um, in our culture, I grew up going to church, 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 church. I tell the people, I say, my mother had a, a drug problem early on in her life, single parent, but she had a drug problem. And they say, what's the problem? I say, she drug me to church. On <laughs> she had a drug problem. She just drug me to church. Every time we, we were in church. And because my church was one of those old, small Pentecostal churches, mm -hmm. you know. A lot, and, of sing, a lot of clapping and singing and praising. Oh, yeah. And we were doing all the clapping and the singing. So we were singing at three, four, five years old. My brother was a piano player. My sister was singing. I was singing five or six. We, we, did, we just sang all day, we sang all night. You know, you sang in every choir. You sang in the adult choir, even though you were seven. So we just, <laughs> <laughs> we just sang. And around seven, I was directing all of the choirs. You know, I was directing the kids' choir that I was in. And I was directing the choir my mother was in, and she quit. My mother quit the choir because I told her she was off key. She said, yeah. that's a true story. I am not making it up. She would not be telling me how to sing because we were gifted with music we could hear. Mm -hmm. My mother knew that. And so when we was living in the projects, she put us in music school. You know, she did that because she was in college, single mm -hmm. mother. She went to get a master's degree in education and we left the projects. But she was very educated. Uh, she was very focused on education and on the arts. So at seven and eight, she would sneak us out of this little church that was repressive and was sort of cultish. And we would go to Broadway. No, really? We would take a train from Rockaway Beach, the A train, to Broadway. Mm -hmm. And we would, she would take us to Pacific Overtures, you know, and Chorus Line. You know, and this is like late 60s, 70s. And we would go do that because she was into the arts. And so we was in church all the time, really like five days a week. We didn't watch television. It sounded like we was Amish. We weren't. But we didn't, <laughs> we didn't watch tele television until Saturday. 
So we had to study and go to church. And it paid off. Sure. Well, obviously it, it, it did. So, all right. So now you're in your, your uh, uh, young, young age. When you got to be a teenager now, what happened? What transpired in your life then? Look, when I got to be a teenager, just like, you know, other sounds caught me, Grace Jones and Luther Vandross, who I got to meet, and, uh, you know, the Jacksons. And I'm the choir director at this church, so I'm infusing all these secular sounds into these quiets, into this music, and that wasn't taken too well. It wasn't. So they considered me the rebel because of music. And at 25, no, at 24, I went on a date with this girl, G. Keith. This is a true story. I went on a date to Manhattan with this girl, and it was wintertime. And my mother was free, so I was a free spirit. So I had on a big coyote coat, if you could see this. Mm-hmm. And I looked like Fred Williamson at 24. <laughs> <laughs> I had patient i had the i had the uh the beard i looked like mm-hmm. fred Williamson, and i had on these boots and this girl says you know there's this play my mom want to sing i want to be in can you come with me to the audition i said we came to go to the movies i said okay i'll go to the audition so g keith i go with her to the audition and a producer looks at me and says can you sing you look like a singer because you i'm dressed up shades mm-hmm. little billy d williams i got my vibe going because it's a date i said mm-hmm. now nah, i'm not singing and she came back three times. You should you should try to audition. I auditioned for this show. Didn't tell the girl I was on a date with. I got in the show. She didn't. <laughs> but this is your story. She did not get in the show. Vahigason knows this. 30 years later, that same girl got into the show. That's another story. 30, 30 years later? 30 years later, she went with Japan to Mama on the Sing. 30 years after I got into it. So I got a part of Mama on the Sing. I didn't want to do it because of the church. Because of my church. My church, they didn't do movies. You don't do Broadway. Don't do no secular music. And we were the prominent family in the church. When they found that I was in the show, they kicked me out the church because of Mama, I want to sit. <laughs> kicked me out the church at 24, 25. Mm-hmm. I was kicked out of the church because I was singing on Broadway and they was against that. Yeah. So I went to Mama, I want to sing and Ironically, the day after they put me out the church, which was December 31st, Vi Higginson asked me to be the choir director in Mama Winnison. One really? door closes, windows open. Simultaneously, she told me about tours. That's my story in, in short. Yeah, that I was co- excommunicated because I was singing in this off-Broadway musical. Yeah. All right. And so we're going to touch on your, now you're a, a, a reverend and you're playing the uh the pastor in mama i want to sing and uh so now it's like uh you've had the experience in the church being excommunicated from that particular church and Mm -hmm. then now on 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 this 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 40th anniversary of mama i want to sing you're playing a pastor in the church so okay i think i'm jumping ahead of myself because We'll get back to that part. Now, okay, after you joining Mama, I Want to Sing, um, and we had spoken before, and you were in the choir also, That's when right. I played uh, the narrator, uh, the narrator uh, I replaced Vi a couple of times back in those days, and you were just in the choir. Just in the choir. So how did you get from the choir to where you are? 
because the the the, uh, the present choir director, Michael Gray, he was the voice of Fat Albert. He was moving on into other things. And uh, they were getting ready to go to Japan and they needed a choir director. And she offered me the role, not knowing, because I never told them that I was a real choir director in my churches. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I studied that role and I went to Japan with them and I started directing the choir in my monastery overseas and in New York. And people would come to see that and say, he's a real choir director. And then I would connect with celebrities. Luther Vandross came to the show. You understand what I'm saying? Luther's and, a friend uh, of mine. Yeah, he came to the show. And Kelly Price grew up in, she she and I grew up in the same church. Hmm. So she had the same experience. When she went R&B, she had difficulty in the church. So she called me to be her vocal contractor. So I did her background vocals for three hmm. years. Mm -hmm. All of the world on tour with Destiny's Child and Diddy. He was puffy at the time and Missy Elliott. So I spent some years. I had no church and I was just doing my mama sing. And I was in the secular environment. Kelly Price hooked me up with Mariah Carey. Ah. So now I'm performing with Mariah Carey on some videos, helping them put together people from the choir. And it went on from one celebrity to the next. You know, Kelly Price had me do some things with Celine Dion in Shaka Khan, and it kept going. And, you know, the next thing I know, I'm I'm in the movie with Diana Ross. <laughs> now, which movie? That's Double Platinum. It was Diana Ross and Brandy. It was an ABC movie that she produced, and we were the choir, you know. And the, one of the best moments of my life, G. Keith, I'm on the set with Diana Ross. Mm -hmm. The world should know she's the best-smelling person on the planet. <laughs> I understand, Barry Gordy. I got it. I got you, Barry. I know what happened. She's, <laughs> she's the best smelling person on the planet. And we're on, the, we're on the set, and I'm doing her background choir, and she looks at me, and she says, Richard, give me my note. I fell out on the floor in real life because she knew my name. And I said, Donna Ross knows my name. And she says, oh, you're so silly. Get up and give me the note. I mean, it was just a wonderful thing. So I went from one experience to the next to Aretha Franklin, which is a different experience in Diana Ross. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, last week, uh, I had a, a guest on, uh, Brenda Braxton from Broadway. And yeah. I told Brenda my uh, Aretha Franklin story, which I'm yeah. not going to tell you now, but folks who would like to hear it can go back and listen to the Brenda Braxton story. But I do have a Diana Ross story. What is that? Uh, well, you know, uh, <clears throat> I used to hang out at a uh, private club called Regine's on, on Park Avenue uh, back in the 80s. And I walked in one day and the, they came up and said, hey, Diana Ross is sitting over there. Why don't you go over and 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 meet her? So I, I go over. As I'm going over, I'm trying to figure out, now, how can I get Diana Ross to remember me? What can I say to her that will make her remember me? And the only thing I could think of <laughs> when I got there and uh, and they introduced me to her, I said, you know, I never liked the Supremes. And she looked at me. And I said, well, it was because I used to date this this young lady. And every time I'd go to her house, she'd always be playing baby love, baby love. And, and Dinah looked at me and we had a, a, a few, you know, nice words, cordial words. And then I left. Uh, and then uh, a few weeks later, they bring her to my studio because she had the record out called I'm Coming Out. Right. And they bring it to my studio. I interview her. After the interview, I said, you know, I'd love to kiss Diana Ross so I could one day tell my son that I kissed Diana Ross. 
And I'm thinking, you know, there's a, stu- a studio full of people, and I'm thinking that, you know, she's going to uh, say no or yes or whatever. But she said, okay. And then she puckered up, not like you would normally kiss somebody, but, you know, pucker up like you're, you're, like you're sucking on a, 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 a lemon or something. Uh-huh. And, and for some reason, I just couldn't kiss her on the lips like that. So I kissed her on her cheek. She opened her eyes, and I guess she was kind of startled that I didn't go for it. And uh, that's my Dinah Ross story. You missed it, Keith. You should have called me. I would have, I would have kissed and kept on kissing. We still kissed. <laughs> <laughs> but, but my Aretha Franklin story is not a bad story. It involves my mom want to sing. Really? Yes. Tell, tell me about it. This is what Mama Wen Sing does. Aretha Franklin is promoting an album on, now you're going to know this, the Phil Donahue show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Phil, Phil Donahue. Donahue. Live, Channel 7. Mama on the Sing Choir has been asked to back up Aretha Franklin. Mm. So she's going to do a gospel number and then she's going to do a secular number. She's going to do Mary Don't You Eat and we just the background vocals. I think she's going to do something else. So Phil Donahue has big baby grand set up and all of this because, you know, he went on live. This is live across the country. This is not hate. It's live. Right. right. My friend uh, Lillian Smith was producer for. for OK, uh, show. it's yeah. live. I remember her. I remember. Mm-hmm. Her. And it's live. And so two minutes before showtime, Aretha Franklin decides she doesn't want to sing. What? Yeah, she doesn't want to sing. So Doris Choi is on this. Doris Choi is here. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, all these other singers are here. We're walking out to the set, G. Keith. Vi Higginson passes me the microphone and say, you know, Mary, don't you weep? So you have to sing it in front of me. <laughs> she doesn't want to sing. I said, but what are you smoking? I have to. You have to sing Aretha's song because she doesn't want to sing. I walk out to the Phil Donahue set. We start playing it. Aretha is playing the piano. Hmm. She's playing the piano, just looking at me. And I sang, and I kept singing so hard that towards the end of the song, she started singing with me. Oh, really? She felt like singing. And then she felt like playing. That's my Aretha. And she gave me that look like, oh, son, you tried to do something. It's on YouTube. I had a tape of that. That's my Aretha Franklin story. I had to just step up. 30-second <laughs> notice. And that's that's by Higginson. You do it. 30-second notice. Incredible. Well, you know, Vi's uh, motto over at Mama is always be ready. You yeah. know, stay ready. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. So that's <laughs> what I'm you know, and um, uh, and she loved it, Aretha. Yeah, fantastic. So, uh, all right, you know what? Uh, there's some people who aren't familiar with Mama. I want to sing, although it has been all over the country and all over the world, and for 40 years. Uh, for those people who are uh, listening to us or watching us uh, on on our Harlem. Uh, America TV channel. Uh, give them a synopsis of of okay. what Mama Want to Sing is about, and mm-hmm. and and Doris Troy was a real person. Uh, in fact, Via's sister. Uh, mm-hmm. So give us a brief synopsis. Yeah. Well, um, Mama Want to Sing is based on the story of Doris Troy, Harlem native, Doris Troy, who was a singer, and um, she traveled at a young age and went to London. She made records with the Beatles. And George Harrison, she had big hit, just one look. It's all it took. That's all it took. Just and they were, uh, yeah, they were family of church people. So her father, Randolph Higginson, he was a real preacher. By his mother, who I knew, Geraldine Higginson, I knew by his mother, and I knew Doris Troy. These were church people, and so the story talks about 
uh, Doris Troy leaving the church to go sing in the secular arena, sort of against the wishes of her parents and of the church, just like my story, who were afraid for her to venture outside of the church. But she had a dream and she had a voice that was pushing her to her destiny. And she did it. She became, Doris Troy became wildly successful, you know, all over Europe and all over America. Her voice is iconic, is on movies and everything. So the story really is about pursuing your dreams. And it's applicable to anybody, whether it's musical, whether it's journalism, whether it's medicine. The story is about not being afraid to pursue your dream. And sometimes you have to leave your common surroundings to accomplish that and maybe come back, you know, come back as a success. So that's really what the story is about. And it's about music and church and all of that. Yeah. Well, I've seen it uh, at least uh, three times at, at least, but this last time that I saw it on Sunday, uh, that opening act brought tears to my eyes because I, I, I the, the beauty in which uh, it was performed uh, by the choir and the the uh, Carlton that played the minister of, uh, of music. And it just, uh, and I was so proud of you guys and and Vi and, and Ken Wydro and, uh, and Amaya Noel, uh, for for putting on in, uh, such a wonderful performance, or I, I should say production, and, and presenting it to the world. So real quick, we've got about a minute and a half before we go to break, but tell them the role that you play, uh, which is fantastic. Well, I, I play the role of Reverend Winter, which is Doris's father and the pastor of the church. And I am the one who infused into her that she has the gift of song. I see the gift. At a young at a young age, and I tell her to follow her dreams. Unfortunately, like in real life, I pass, I, I transition before I get to see her do it. But in the spirit, I know she's going to be successfully successful musically, and I give her that in the first act before I before I die because I do die. Yes, you do, and uh, your death catches uh, the audience uh, by surprise, and everyone gasps when uh, we see you. Uh, uh, I'm not going to give it all, all away, but uh, uh, in the la- in the next thirty seconds, tell us the uh, "Mama I Want to Sing" will be uh, on stage until when? It will be on stage until March 12th at the El Museo Barrio, formerly the Hexha Theater. It's on 104th and Fifth Avenue uptown in Harlem, New York. So it's going to be there for the next two weeks. Fantastic. So, all right, we're going to take our break and we'll be back to hear more stories from uh, our guest, our special guest, Mr. Richard Hartley. And uh, this is What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. And I want to remind you that you can always go to our website at harlemamerica.com for more podcasts, TV shows, and articles. And we love you. And we'll be right back. Have you ever thought about hosting your own radio podcast to establish fame, fortune, and followers for your small business? People listen to them, they subscribe to them, and they love them. As a small black business owner, doesn't that sound like something you'd like to be a part of? Well, you can when you hire the radio podcast pros at Harlem America Digital Network. 
Imagine, you'll have a team of creative and technical professionals at your disposal and a one-hour weekly radio podcast to spread the word about your business. Making your business successful with its own media is not for the faint of heart, but it can happen with a Harlem America radio podcast talk show. Get a free consultation by emailing gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com or call D. Daniels at 480-553-5741 today. Listening to Harlem America. I love it a lot. For entertainment. Check it out. Check it out. Empowerment and health and wellness. Harlem America. The home of Glasso Smart Water is Harlem America. Harlem America. Where Coca-Cola is helping you enjoy less sugar. You're listening to Harlem America, talking to the world from the heart and soul of New York. You're listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. To reach our show live today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Also, you can send an email to gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com. Now, back to the show. Thank you, Kevin. Hey, uh, don't forget that you can uh, download our TV app. Uh, Just look for Harlem America. You can also... Download our mobile app at the uh, whichever store you go to. And uh, we're here for you to, <laughs> to bring you uh, entertainment, uh, empowerment, and health and wellness. So that's what's hot Harlem America. So, uh, look, uh, Richard. Yes, sir. You've been described as Luther Vandross on stage with Walter Hawkins and the Hawkins family infused with the rhythms of Sade and Maxwell as backed by a band reminiscent of Earth, Wind and Fire and Holy Ghost Fire. (laughs) Cheese and crackers. Uh, Tell us about that, please. You know, like I told you, I grew up in the Pentecostal church, so gospel is in my roots. Gospel is in my roots. But I'm a, I'm like a closet R&B singer because I have the um, sensibilities of that music and of that presentation. You know, I thought Luther was the epitome of how to present a song. He was my song. favorite male yeah. vocalist. And I got some Luther stories. Vi uh, Higginson again. Vi Higginson, she's up to everything. She took me. You would know about this to Ashford and Simpson's all white party. Remember, they used to I, do- used, I used to go every year for about nine years. Right. So I'm seeing you up there. We're up there, up in Connecticut, mm-hmm. right? Westport. And so, yeah. So Luther Vandross would say, We all have on white. And um, he knew me because he had been coming to the shows. And Luther Vandross and I had a picnic table, and there's a plate of chicken wings in between us. <laughs> he says to me, Richard, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. So Luther. Vandross and I have a race to see who's going to grab the last three chicken wings. He was just such a funny. <laughs> he was such, such a funny. He got ketchup and he got hot sauce all over him. I didn't. He's just such a funny guy. But he came to see us at the Union Square Theater mm-hmm. because his singer, Lisa Fisher, was in our show. Yes, Lisa. I know Lisa. How can I ease the pain? Lisa Fisher was the lead in our show in something viral called Born to Sing. Because there's mm-hmm. a singing every by show. Mama, can I sing? 
Mama, when we going to sing? This is how we sing. So this is going to sing. Because you can have to sing it if I hear it's a show. <laughs> so this was one of the um, one of the offshoots of Mama Sing, Born to Sing. Lisa was the lead. Luther Vandross comes to the show. And I'm scared to death. And they say, Richard, Luther's here. I said, oh, my God. Who wants to sing in front of Luther Vandross? What male wants to sing in front of Luther Vandross? Right, right, he's right. Sitting, he's sitting stage right, G. Keith. And I said, all right. So we get that out of mind and we sing. Luther Vandross asked to speak to me after the show. Mickey, and this is what he says, because my assistant was there. You got to tell them I'm not lying. <laughs> this would tell them, cannot tell them I'm not lying. Tell the people I'm not lying. He's not lying. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is what Luther Vandross says to me. He says, Richard. I said, I said Richard, and I'm nervous, you, Keith. He says, I love your voice. Mm, wow. Then he said this, you, Keith. I love you now. He says, I would trade my voice for yours. I said, are you crazy? He said, no, no, no. He said, Richard, you sing high. You sing low. You can scream like Otis Wedding and Redding and Wilson Pickett. And you sing smooth. Luther looks at me and says, I sing smooth, but I sound the same on everything. And you have a diverse voice. I always want to change the sound. So be grateful for your gift. That's what Luther Vandross told me. After Incredible. he told me that, my self-esteem was 100%. Because as artists, we're always a little insecure about what we're doing, you know. Exactly. And he was so serious. He says, I'll switch in a minute. You can do many things. That's your gift. He says, I sound the same on every song. I don't want to. That's a beautiful story. And I beautiful thought he got me, G. Keith, because after that, I didn't see him about five years. And I'm on my way to the Rock and Roll, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, right? They're inducting Diana Ross. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I get invited to go. I'm coming up the escalator in the Sheraton in Midtown. Luther Vandross, Fonzie, all his people. Right, I'm right. Down the other, and I said, he doesn't remember me. We get close because I used to have locks down to here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I had cut them. We get close. He looks at me and says, Richard, you cut your hair. Are you still going with bye? And we're going like this. And I said, uh, 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 <laughs> Wow. You know, I, uh, I, I first met Luther when he was a chubby little kid and he was singing jingles for uh, commercials and things. And, uh, and, and, and then fast forward years later, I'm at uh, WKTU Disco 92 and I got off the air about six o'clock one morning and I'm walking down the street and I get to, uh, I think it was Sixth uh, Avenue and 57th Street. And I see Luther Vandross on the corner dancing to himself, and he had, he had earbuds in or, or headphones on. And I'm walking close. I said, that looks like Luther. What's he doing? And I get close. He says, G. Keith, G. Keith, you got to listen to this. You got to listen to this. And that's 6 o'clock in the morning now. He says, uh, you got to listen to this. And he puts the, the headphones on me, and I'm hearing Aretha Franklin. He had just got finished producing Aretha in the studio with, uh, what was that song Aretha had? Uh, jump, jump, jump. Jump, jump. That, that's it. That's it. And so I was one of the first ones to hear that because I just happened to walk up on Luther uh, dancing to what he had just produced. You know, but it's, it's a very interesting thing. You know, I thought about it while wow, you left an impression on Luther Vandross. And it's what I'm helping the young girls in the show mm -hmm. and other artists. You may not think what you have is great. 
but someone listening to it yeah. can see the greatness that you have. And the beautiful thing about what he did was he didn't leave me money. We wasn't friends like that, but he left me some self-confidence in the gift that God gave me because he was dead serious. He didn't have to say mm -hmm. that. He had mm -hmm. analyzed my whole performance. Wow. And he told me everything I did and all the sounds that you make out of your voice, Richard, that's your gift. And if I could choose, I would choose that. But I have this. Change my world. Change my musical thinking. Ladies and gentlemen, you see now that's another reason for you to go get your tickets for Mama, I Want to Sing before it closes on when? March 13th? March 12th. March 12th, before it closes on March 12th. So you can listen and hear Richard Hartley's voice and what he does in and I'm gonna that go, show. Like Luther, I'm going to go. <laughs> wow, incredible. Hey, that's a beautiful story. Yes. So uh, what other great stories, uh, what some of your other favorite stories you'd like to tell us? Well, you know, I met I met Michael Jackson in a men's room. That yeah. doesn't, that doesn't that sound, sound right, but okay, go ahead. They clarify, preacher. Well, I Andre Crouch, if you know Andre Crouch, he was a big gospel singer, big mm -hmm. gospel artist. Andre Crouch and Sandra Crouch from Los Angeles. They were in New York to put choir vocals on Michael Jackson's history album. Mm -hmm. And um, all I want to say is that they don't really care about how that's, that's the song. Mm -hmm. And they called me up, invited me to be part of their session. So, gee, Keith, I'm a prankster. I like to have fun. And I'm clowning around all the time. Clowning around. I walk into the hit factory. And oh, you know, yeah. hit factory, oh, yeah. in the hit factory. they got this green room, G. Keith, mm -hmm. with all of this food. Now, it's nothing we want. <laughs> it's crudite. It's celery sticks with spinach dip and mm -hmm. this artichoke salad. And I'm, I, where's the chicken? That's Richard Hartley. Where's Michael? I'm being filmed, you know. You know I'm being filmed. I didn't know that. Where is Michael? We need chicken. Where's he doing all this crudite? We don't want no crudite. We need chicken. <laughs> Dear Keith, this is no this is a true story. Ten minutes later, around ten black guys bust into the green room carrying all of this Popeyes. Mm -hmm. Michael Jackson has watched me on the video, and he sent out for chicken. <laughs> During the session, I go to the men's room. In walks Michael Jackson and full Michael Jackson regalia. He has the epaulets. He looked like he's about to fight the Civil War. He has on all of this stuff. I got and your he, chicken for you. And he looked at me and says, <laughs> he says, so you wanted the chicken. Did you get enough? And we cry. <laughs> he's holding my history. He's holding his history. Yeah. <laughs> he looks at me. He says, so you wanted the chicken. Did you get enough? Then it turned. He keeps it turned. Right after that, all of his security guards bust into the bathroom. Mr. Jackson, are you okay? Are you okay? Michael Jackson looked at me with this most serious face, changed his voice and said, I can't even pee in peace. I was having so much fun. <laughs> shook my hand, and I could see the, vitil the vitiligo. I could see the skin disease. Uh -huh, that, uh -huh. He says, I can't even pee in peace. And he got very serious. says, I'll see you later. And he left. That's my mm. mother. And we did, we did the song, and he was very upset. And um, we had to stop the session. And Andre Crouch and Sandra Crouch asked him to come out, and they went to pray with him before we sang. Mm -hmm. And they prayed. And I'm watching Michael Jackson lift his hands, pray to Jesus in this session. And I mm -hmm. called this guy that you just saw. It's I true. Said, 
True. Come back here and tell the people I'm not lying. The people don't think I'm lying. Didn't I call you up? He not lying. He called okay, get off. Just my show. So I called them up. I said, Michael Jackson is in prayer with us right now. With all his and then he thanked us for the prayer, and we did the song. Wow. And then he asked me, "Are you coming? Are you coming tomorrow? Janet is coming." I said, "No, I won't be able to make it. I didn't. I, I, it was too much. I didn't mm -hmm. want to go back." But um, yeah, he received prayer from us. So before he transitioned, Andre Crouch told us that he came to his house and received Jesus, and I believe that because I saw Michael go into prayer. I saw him. You know, there's about fifty people in this choir. He came out the booth with all his stuff because he had been cursing out the engineer. <laughs> Michael Jackson talked just like us. When he worked, uh -huh. he talked like this. He had cursed out the engineer. And as gospel singers, we didn't want to go forth singing the song with that in the atmosphere. Mm. They called him into prayer to get that out. And he received that. That's my Michael Jackson story. All right. Well, look here. That's a fantastic story. But I, 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 I cannot go any further without telling my bathroom story. Okay. I mean, who's uh, in the bathroom with GQ? Wait a minute. <laughs> I hope it wasn't George Michael. What's going on? <laughs> no. I was What? <laughs> I told you I'm I told them I'm schizophrenic. <laughs> I don't have the medicine today. <laughs> no, I, I went to a, a studio, Howard Schwartz studio, to do some voiceovers. And uh so it just so happens in one of the other studios was uh uh, uh, James Earl Jones. So I, I had to go to the men's room. So I go into the men's room and I see as I walk into the studio, uh, into the men's room, James Earl Jones is at the urinal. So I, I, you know, I see him and he turns around to, to, to walk towards the, uh, the, the, uh, sink to, to wash his hands, I, I, I suppose. And as he turns around, I said, uh, hello there, Mr. Jones, how are you? And he says, hello. And I says, uh, you know, I was really sad when they uh, killed you off in clear and present. And he says, danger. And I said, yes. <laughs> he says, they, they had to make room for Jack Ryan. And, and, and his voice reverberated throughout the, the men's room, you know, bounced off the walls and stuff. And, and of course, I didn't shake his hand because, uh, you know. But anyway, I, I was so impressed and at awe that uh, James Earl Jones was in the men's room and he spoke to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my Michael Jackson story. We had our moment. We was laughing because he knew who I was when he came in because I was on film talking about, Michael, you need some chicken. You know, of course he <laughs> wasn't there, but he was filming me. You know, and when you meet some of these celebrities, you realize they're people with great success, but they're people. They're people, that's they're right. People. They're people with so, great success, but they're people. Yeah. So, so give me one, one more antidote, one more. Uh, okay, I'm going to give you my story. Beyonce story. Okay. My Beyonce story. Be high if you're going to like this one. So I'm on the road with Kelly Price, mm -hmm. uh, background singers, and she does a summer jam. And so we're on tour, and it's Kelly, it's Puffy, it's Missy Elliott, and it's this new group called Destiny's Child. This is like 96, 97. We're mm -hmm. out in L.A. for summer jam. And GK, mm -hmm. most of the bill. I don't even know why we were on it. Most of the bill was rappers, you know? So um, who's that rough guy from New York, Mickey? He's thick. He, yeah. Big rapper. Little, little hard edge. He was on the bill, and Puffy was on the bill, and Missy was on the bill, and Kelly Price was on the bill. Destiny Childs come up singing Bills, Bills, Bills. They got completely booed. Mm -hmm. Buster Rhymes. Buster Rhymes. Buster Rhymes was on the bill. 
they got completely booed at the LA Amphitheater. I mean, boo, boo, boo. So three of them, when they, when they finished, ran off stage. Beyonce must have been 17. I went to Beyonce, I enjoyed you. Thank you. She stood on at the edge of the stage. She watched the rest of the show. The rest of Destiny's Child got limousines and they left. Mm-hmm. This young girl watched every act as if she wasn't phased by anything that had just happened to her. Mm-hmm. I go, you're going to be a great success. I call up this same guy. I oh. said, I says, it's the young one, the blonde hair one. She's going to be the one because the other ones ran off crying. She stood there dried eyed and just watched every performance as if that didn't happen to her. And I spoke to her, said, you're going to be a great success. That was Beyonce. She must have been 17 years old. Summer Jam, 1996, 97, something like that. And look, so look you- Look at so this you now. prophesied, you prophesied in, in, in her life. Yeah, but I, and I just saw what was already there. You know, people, she, she takes a lot of criticism, but she had this drive that she, she wasn't emotional. They got booed off. She stood there and watched everybody else. She didn't leave. They left her. They went in limousines. And they left. Drew Hill was on that too. They left her and she watched it for another two hours before she left gave me an insight into her character. So when I saw her ascension, I wasn't surprised by that. Mm-hmm. I wasn't mm-hmm. surprised mm-hmm. by that at all. She had that as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, okay, so we're going to take a short break in about two minutes, but uh, I do want to remind the folks that uh, you are the same Richard Hartley from the TV show The Rev, and uh, we're going to talk about that when we come back. Uh, and uh, The Rev is on what uh, network? It's on demand now on USA NBC. You can catch us on demand the first season. Okay, the, the first season. And, the only- uh, and, and it, it was on NBC, though, or something. Yeah. yeah well, it you can say it's affiliate of NBC. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we'll talk about that when we come back. Um, real quickly, real quickly, um, is there anything else that you'd like to be able to do? Oh, yeah. I'm going to go back into television. I was blessed to do a movie, the first Juneteenth movie for BET last year. I did that with, um, who's the girl from The Color Purple? Margaret Avery. Mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. did that with um, Golden Brooks from Girlfriends and um, a lot of, you know, great big um, black stars that came out last summer. And uh, looking forward to doing more movies and television and some family things back on television, maybe the reality genre. I'm not sure. But we're looking to all of it. Yeah. Fantastic. So, ladies and gentlemen, we want to thank you so much for hanging in here with What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. Uh, that's me, by the way. And uh, we've got our special guest, Mr. Richard Hartley from Mama, I Want to Sing. And uh, don't forget to get your tickets. Get them today because the tickets are going fast. And we'll be right back after this brief message or two. And... Uh, I'll be here when you get back. Have you ever thought about hosting your own radio podcast to establish fame, fortune, and followers for your small business? People listen to them, they subscribe to them, and they love them. As a small black business owner, doesn't that sound like something that you'd like to be a part of? 
Well, you can when you hire the radio podcast pros at Harlem America Digital Network. Imagine you'll have a team of creative and technical professionals at your disposal and a one-hour weekly radio podcast to spread the word about your business. Making your business successful with its own media is not for the faint at heart, but it can happen with a Harlem America radio podcast talk show. Get a free consultation by emailing gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com or call D. Daniels at 480-553-5741 today. Harlem, America. It's about Harlem. Harlem is my town. Carver Bank, where 80% of every dollar is reinvested in the community. Harlem, America. The home of Coca-Cola Zero. You're listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. To reach our show live today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Also, you can send an email to gkeithalexander at harlemamerica.com. Now, back to the show. So, uh, you're performing to- tonight, right? No, no, I'm going to go on tomorrow. I have two shows. I'm going to do the matinee tomorrow. What's the four o'clock show? And I'll be on stage for the 730 show. Yeah. Okay. So here again, ladies and gentlemen, you have a chance to get your tickets uh, so you can see Richard. Uh, you won't just uh, uh, be able to listen to him and his amazing story here on What's Hot Harlem America, but uh, you'll be able to see him and experience his performances uh, at the uh, Hexter Theater, which is now called the what? El Museo de Barrio. Right, on 104th and 5th Avenue That's right. here in New York City. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, let us, uh, when did you become a, a, a reverend, an actual reverend yourself? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if something happened. I'm going to tell you what happened, G.K. Yeah. We kicked out of the church. Mm-hmm. Let's pick it up from there. My mother was a spiritual woman, says, okay, well, we don't have a church, but you're touring and your brother's doing something else and your sister's doing something else. I need the family to come together to have prayer once a week. Hmm. So, okay, mother, we'll go to your mother. House. Wow. We go to your house. So we have, she has prayer once a week with the family. Then a visitor comes, somebody else comes, somebody else comes. The word gets out that Mother Hartley, that's what they call it, is having prayer. So now these people are piling up in my mother's house for prayer. And she says, Richard, we need some music. So I called this guy who I met at Mama when I sing. My mother wants to have a music thing for her prayer group. This is not my prayer group. This is hers, G.K. Mm-hmm. So we set it up. She puts up a podium. I said, oh, you have a speaker? She said, yes, I have a speaker coming. I said, Mom, who's the speaker? She said, you. I said, what? <laughs> she said, God told her I was a speaker. I said, why didn't God tell me he got my number? He didn't call me. He mm-hmm. told her. So she put me up there. I don't even know what I said. I don't, I don't know what I said. And after that, people kept coming. And I ended up running the church for her for five, six, seven years. Then she resigned and said, you're the pastor. And so the church has been going on for 27 years. We bought a 700-seat Jewish synagogue with five adult members. Really? No bank account. Really? And I met this I met this rabbi who went to sell his synagogue is on the water and i went there i had locks i had all my earrings in i was really trying to look like miles davis i want to look like such a superstar that he says no we're not going to sell it 
The rabbi looks at me with my shades and my hair and says, I like you. That's so building to him. Then he does what certain people don't do. He looks at a staff and says, cut the price in half. Really? They don't do that. Real estate. And God was saying to me, so you know I want you to do this, because at eight years old, I saw that building across from the projects, and the Spirit said to me, that's your church. I was an eight-year-old kid, and I kept telling people that, and they thought I was crazy. But when I was 40 years old, it became my church. Where is it located? 188 Beach, 84th Street, Rockaway Beach. And that's the only reason I'm a pastor, because I knew at eight he told me that. Then he gave me the building that he told me, that he showed me at eight, and I got it at 40. And so God. it's that type of church. It's called Haven Ministries. I called it Haven because I wanted to be like Regines. Did you say that it was on 57th Street? Regines was on Park Avenue and uh, 59th Street. Yeah, I wanted it to be like a club where anybody can come. I don't care what you wear. I don't care how you're born. I don't care creed, color, lifestyle, orientation. I believe God's first character is love. And I said, if I have to do a church, I'm not going to do a cult like I grew up in. I'm not going to convict people and condemn people. I'm not going to be repressive and all of those things. So our church is like a circus. You don't know who's coming in here. They wear whatever. Um, you know, everything that you can imagine is there, just like heaven. It's full of music, you know. And so after the pandemic, four pastors joined me. Next month, they make me a bishop. And I never liked pastor. <laughs> never wanted to be a pastor. I had bad experiences with pastors. And then I understand that that experience was for me. But when I became one, not to repeat what damaged me. And so after getting kicked out of my moment of shame from that church, 40 years later, I returned. Last week, the church our pastor came to the show. Hmm. Chairman, what, what type of karma, what you want to call it? What type of destiny is that? <laughs> 40 years later, I come with the church I pastor. And they're mm-hmm. cheering. Whereas in 1987, I got booted out from the same exact play. And so what God was saying was, it wasn't wrong back then. That's why I brought it back. And I want people to be free from God doesn't like this. God doesn't like that. God hates you. You're going to hell. I want people to be free from that concept. You know? Yeah. So, wow, what a story. Now, okay, so now, how did the TV show The Rev come about? Because I'm in the church acting just like I do, and I'm directing my choir. I'm teaching Mm -hmm. my choir. And one of my musicians came with a camera. And my wife has on Uggs. Now, G. Keith, you can't wear Uggs to my church. You can wear anything else. Mm-hmm. But you can't wear, God didn't make Uggs. The devil made Uggs. That's why he shows for <laughs> ugly. And I'm looking at my wife, and we're on this camera. says, you got those Uggs on? Those don't belong in this church. You're going to hell with those Uggs on. He tapes it. He, you might know this guy. He sends it to a radio guy, Sean Court. Do you know Sean Court? Oh, yeah, I know Sean. Yeah, down in Florida. I know Sean. He's in Florida. He sends it to Sean Court. Sean Court knows me. He's laughing at me on tape, having this choir rehearsal. Sean Court says, this is a TV show. He sends it to a manager he knows who sends it to agents out in Hollywood. I don't even know this is going on. Next thing I know, I get a call from Lifetime Television who filmed the pilot. Then I got a call from Netflix. Then they said Oprah was interested. And they told told me Oprah's budget wasn't good. I said, what did you say? Oprah's budget's not... What? (laughs) So USA outbid everybody, and we ended up with eight episodes on the USA Network simply from that joke I was cracking on in choir rehearsal, being my true self. 
be my true incredible wow and if you come to my house i bother her i've been bothering her like that for years she really can't cook she's beautiful she can clean up she can clean up you need a maid you loaning your wife out to be a maid? Listen, listen, she can she can clean up Katrina. When that hurricane came, they should have sent her. But she will <laughs> she can't she can't cook. It takes a, an hour to make minute rice. She cannot cook. So I'm always bothering her like I bother people. And that's how we ended up on TV. And I didn't want it to be called the Rev. And USA looked at me and says, No, we want America to see a different type of pastor and preacher. And that's how I got that. No, no audition tapes. And it's an eight by 10. I didn't have management. I didn't have agents. God just did that. I have management and agents now, but we didn't have any of that. And we had to get a lawyer to sign a TV deal. And it just came to me. It just came. Just like my mom was saying, just came to me. God's universe is conspiring in your favor. And I believe the best is yet to come. I received that because that's how I got the show. I was going to the movies with this girl. And I ended up at an audition. I didn't plan that. And I, I try to help the young people be who you are. This woman, Cherise Campbell, I never got her name. She saw something in me. She says, you're an entertainer. You're dressed like it. You should do this. That was God telling me, go. You know, and I did it. And that's how I got to church. The rabbi, oh, I like you. Cut out half the price. That's how I got the TV show. That's how I got the movies. You know, just being this that's how you got on this show today. That's how I got on this show today. I had no <laughs> idea you was in the audience watching my moment the other day. I'm glad I didn't know because I don't like to know who's there, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. I don't want that to get into my head. And I had no idea that um, this would happen. You know what I'm saying? I know exactly who you are. You know, I've seen you. I know the radio status. I know all of that. But who would know today I'll be sitting here talking to you, you know? And so if we just be our true selves, God will send us what he intended for us to have. That's right. That's yeah. right. So give us a little insight now. What does it take to make a reality show? I mean, yeah. we see most of these shows like the the housewives and these these beautiful yeah. women, which turns me off, are arguing and fighting and and all that stuff that, that, you know, but there was one show Sinbad had a reality show that was not about arguing or fighting with the family or anything like that. And I love the show, but they took it off after one season because it wasn't of controversy. So right. Tell us a little bit of the inside of uh, the rest. Well, it's funny that you said that because VH1, when they heard of me in Hollywood, they told me there was a bidding war. They sent us a telescript and it was fighting and women fighting in the church. We turned that down. We said we would, we would not do that. And then the USA came. Now, what we did was sat down with the producers and they asked me, what's going on in your life? And I told them, I have two grown kids. One is 30, one is 32. They stay in the house to eat all my food. They don't pay rent. And my, my wife treats this house like it's a hotel. She cooks it. Well, she doesn't cook for them. She cleans for them. I do the cooking like their kids. I'm trying to get them out, trying to get my daughter married. That became an episode. Mm-hmm. So I told them the people in the church are crazy and they have all types of personality. They said we want to meet them. That became an episode. Mm-hmm. So the episodes just reflected my real life. And the work was grueling. These are 12, 15-hour days. Really? Yeah, it's grueling. And they give you no script. Ours was really reality. They set the situation and you just talk like we talk. And it works so well because my family is just four comedians in here. They're all crazy. You know, it's just four comedians. And that's how we did that. We had a great time and it was wholesome. It shows family values. It's a black man. 
married to his high school sweetheart. These are my kids. I think the DNA test is still out. <laughs> you know, and I wanted to show I wouldn't do any buffoonery. I wouldn't mm-hmm. do that to your kids. I told them, no, I'm not doing that. No buffoonery. We want to show America a wholesome black family where they're not fighting. There's no baby mama drama. There's no drugs involved. There's no guns. It's just family fun, spirit, and um, comedy. And we were able to do that. So I'm proud of that. And we're looking to do that again. Yeah. How many cameras did they use? Uh, three cameras or one camera? No, they had three. Sometimes they had four. Because sometimes they had two rovings mm-hmm. and they didn't have stationary. If mm-hmm. we filmed location, it might just be two. And when they came to the church, it, I think we filmed several scenes at the church. They had four or five cameras. Okay. Yeah. It was right. a top-notch production. Top-notch production. Nothing well, cheap. Nothing okay, cheap. So, so tell us again where we can see the show. You go to USA. It's on demand. So if you have on demand, if you pay your cable bill. See, that's why you got to pay your cable bill. If you pay your cable bill, you can go to the USA Network and you can see the Rev. And you can watch all eight episodes there. And it's on iTunes. You can watch it there. The movie Block Party is on BT on demand. You'll see me in that uh, with a lot of your well-known actors. John Amos is in that movie with me. Mm. Am I doing in a movie with Margaret Avery? She's an an Oscar (laughs) nominee. And she says, hi, Richard. Come on, walk me to my trailer. Margaret Avery. And John Amos from Good Times. Who does that? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and Cobbs, Bill Cobbs was in that movie. Yeah. You know Cobbs. He's oh, been in every yeah. black movie since the twenties. You know, <laughs> <laughs> every black movie. If not black, and Bill Cobbs in it. Yeah, shucks. Hey, uh, 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 Richard. Uh, you know, this has been a real uh, fun uh, conversation, and but I think that we left one thing out about Mama I Want to Sing, and let's remind the people that it's also funny. It, 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 it's comedy, and it's uh, music. It, and music, and it's emotional. And, and, and church. Yeah, so, so talk about that, because we've got about a minute left, a minute and a half left. Well, uh, let them know what, what they can experience. What Vine Ken has structured is you're going to see family church and they allow us to react the way we would react. So you can come on a different night. You're going to get a whole different set of jokes. You know what I'm saying? How do you feel? Uh, me with the, the minister of music, there's going to be so much jokes and so much ad lib. You're going to see your aunt and your uncle. You sit in the seat and say, I would have said the same thing. Or my <laughs> uncle does the same thing. When it comes down to the emotions, you know, death, everybody relates to that. So everybody's going to find their place in that arc of the storyline. So it hits all your emotions. You laugh, you cry, you know what I'm saying? You're being mm-hmm, shocked mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. hope, you root for the um, the heroine, which is Doris Troy, you mm-hmm. hope. And at the end, everybody wins in this show. Everybody wins at the end. Everybody's reunited and everybody wins. It's a feel good thing. That's beautiful. So let's give a shout out to uh, my my sister, Via Higginson, yeah, yeah, and yeah. to Kim Widrow her husband and and co-writer of the show. And also we can't leave out Amaya Noel Higginson, who has, tell us all the roles that she's got. uh, Noel's been Doris for 20 years and in the quiet. Right now, she's making our directorial, let me say it right, directorial debut. So everything you see on the stage, Noel put it together. You know, when I came to the show, she was two years old. 
Mm-hmm. She's on. So now she's directing me. And I'm the only cast member. I've been Doris's father, husband. I've been her uncle, Calvin. I've been a background singer. I was a narrator a couple of times, G. Keith. <laughs> you I, was too, huh? I was a narrator. So I've been everything. So to see Noelle come full circle in her family story, that's an amazing thing. Well, I, I love that family. And uh, I've been connected to them ever since the uh, early uh, 70s. So we've got 30 seconds. I want to thank you, Richard Hartley, uh, for taking this time to uh, join the uh, Harlem America community. And uh, remember, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we'll be here every Friday for you at uh, 1 p.m. Come, come a few seconds earlier, though, you know, so you can catch everything. And Richard, you have a great day and a better one tomorrow. You, and don't judge your brother or sister too harshly until you walked a mile in his or her shoes. And remember, life is tough, but you're tougher uh, unless you've, uh, you know, made other plans. So <laughs> anyway, thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, see you next Friday. On What's Hot Harlem America with GQ Thanks for listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. We'll be back next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. in New York on the Voice America Variety Channel and the Harlem America Digital Network. Thank you for listening. Oh, oh, oh.